A brief programming note about this week's episode. This week we're talking about The Walking Dead with Gary Butterfield of Watch Out for Fireballs. We had so much fun recording this episode that we ran very long, so we're bringing you this episode in two parts. This part begins with about a half hour of general discussion of the game, followed by about an hour of discussing the game's plot beat by beat. Next week we'll be bringing you the conclusion of this episode, which clocks in at about 40 minutes and completes the discussion of the plot. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is the show where we discuss short video games, the kind of games that you can probably complete in an evening or a weekend, the kind of games that we really like to play. And uh, today, we are talking about The Walking Dead, which is a series of games by Telltale Games. I'm really excited about this episode because I am joined not only, as always, by my brother Shane. How are you doing, Shane? I'm doing great. And uh, I am also, of course, joined by podcaster Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. But this episode, we have uh, an esteemed guest, Gary Butterfield of Watch Out for Fireballs. How are you doing, Gary? Sonic is awful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. You're off the show! (laughs) We're doing this again? Yeah, we're not. I brought that up off the air so we wouldn't have to have this conversation. In in confidence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm doing great. So for our listeners who may not have caught our previous episode uh, with Gary, uh, if you look back in our feed a short distance, you'll find a nice interview with him and his uh, co-host Cole Ross of the Watch Out for Fireballs uh, podcast. Watch Out for Fireballs is a fantastic retro gaming podcast. Uh, They have a format not too different from ours where they pick apart one game per week or show however often they get them out. It's about once every other week, I guess, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, they are among my favorite podcasts on the internet. They do really great work over there. Gary's also a musician, and he does a bunch of other cool stuff. I think I saw your tweet that you have a new album out, right? I do. Yeah, I I finished uh, last year. I did it, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to do it once a year, uh, doing these albums in Mario Paint Composer. And they're songs that are between 30 and 45 seconds long, but I do a lot of them. (laughs) So there's a a new record, and there's 52 on it. And last year, there were 50. Um, and you play them on shuffle, so they uh, you just kind of get these little little bites of like a verse and a chorus, you know, that kind of go through all instrumental oh, and all uh, original compositions. Oh, that sounds really cool. Mario Paint, I love it. What's the album called? Uh, this is called Four VG by VG. Um, <laughs> last year was the the Stoic Club. Nice. Oh, so from the, uh, from Earthbound. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And the, uh, the and the name of the project is Super Mario Lab. In case uh, you're you're checking it out.
talking about The Walking Dead. And this is a game that, uh, well, ever since we began this podcast, uh, I've kind of had my long list of short games that I keep going back to. And this was one of the first four or five games that I kind of put onto that list. Yeah, this one's been backburnered from our uh, from our show for a while. I'm very glad we got into it. If you play video games, you've probably heard of this series. It's gotten a lot of buzz, it's gotten a lot of press. But for folks who may not be familiar with The Walking Dead as a media empire... Um, oh my gosh. I've been following, I've been reading The Walking Dead uh, as a comic series uh, for years. And uh, I, I guess I got on onto it uh, around issue... Uh, like 30 or 40 um, and it's had well over a hundred I think I, I the last issue that I read and I'm, I'm a good ways behind the last issue I've read was around issue 110 and from there it's spun off into just a phenomenal number of different media there's the television show which I think is where most people are now familiar with it and uh, these okay. games and a lot of other media it lighters at gas stations and and uh, and hot hot topic shirts and uh, yeah. somebody bought me a, a Walking Dead puzzle, like a jigsaw <laughs> puzzle. So I guess yeah. that's the other Walking Dead game I've played. There, I know there's a board game of of some acclaim. Um, really, that's supposed to be fairly decent. Like I actually, a, I actually yeah. do have a board the board game version, and I have played it a few times. I do not care for that board game. I am I am too much of a board game snob. I guess I I had never played it. I just remember uh, reading something about it. They said it was it was fairly decent. But uh, it's just to your point that I mean, there's essentially um, if I go into a, a bookstore, there is like a Walking Dead section. There'll be a table right up front with the DVDs and the comics and the. Ugh. Right alongside the Game of Thrones memorabilia that is, yes. will be everywhere. Wait, wait, where is it in this world that you guys are walking into a bookstore? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Portland, Oregon. Home of oh, the, right. the world's okay. best and largest uh, used bookstore, Powell's oh, Books. Powell's. Yeah, I've been there many times. Big fan of Powell's. I've still never been to Portland, and I I, uh, I mean to go soon. I've got some friends there now, too. So yeah, Basically, every bookstore in Houston has now closed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Molly lived in Portland for like oh, a little over two years, and I went there six or seven times. And virtually every trip, we went to Powell's. It was great. Yeah, it's great. So The Walking Dead is this whole media empire, but we're talking about this one corner of The Walking Dead media empire, the video game series by Telltale. And I, I have to admit that when I first heard that there was going to be a Walking Dead video game, I didn't have high hopes for it. Uh, at the time, I don't think I was super familiar with Telltale's work. I was aware that they had done like the Sam and Max games, um, the like reboot of those. And so I, I think at the time I was like vaguely aware that they had some historical relationship to the old LucasArts stuff. Um, but hearing, oh, The Walking Dead is becoming a, a video game, I didn't have high hopes for it. Zombies in video games are pretty played out, even even in 2012, I think, when this, when this came out. Um, yeah, zombies and everything have been pretty played out for the past several years, but The Walking Dead has managed to stay. Yeah, to the point where, like, I, I, I was an obsessive fan of this comic series, and uh, zombies got so played out by the rest of the world that I wound up dropping the comic series, like I said, around issue 110. And it's, uh, it's a shame. Yeah. Honestly, like the TV show, um, I started out liking it during the first season and then dropped it because I thought it got really boring and I just didn't have any characters that I could care about. And I actually think that's something that in many ways, I think that The Walking Dead, I, I've, I've watched the TV show, a whole lot of it. I've read a whole lot of the comics. Um, I haven't played the board game, but I will say that The Walking Dead game by Telltale is, I think, the high point 
of this franchise, which is really weird to say because it's a licensed game. I was, I was going to say two, two things just real quick. One, I, I agree with you, and I think it's somewhat controversial because the comics are really good, um, but the, I think the game is better. But what's interesting is even if you did have a background with Telltale, um, which I kind of did, like I was a big fan of the old LucasArts games and when they got the uh, the Sam and Max engine and, and or a license, I, I played those. Uh, but this is entirely different than anything they'd done. Like even if you were expecting Telltale style, this w- this is not that. Um, this was them going in an entirely different direction, you know, for uh, for them and then also for adventure games. And that's why it was such a pleasant surprise. I think that's part of the reason why it's so critically lauded. So, yeah, it's just got tons of innovations on uh, what an adventure game is and how you play it. And it's it absolutely threw me for a loop because I was not expecting something like this. This is another one of those games that I think I got in some kind of sale at some point. I was like, this has been getting a lot of buzz, but I had sort of decided that it wasn't for me before I'd ever really given it a chance and picked it up really cheap at some point and became completely hooked. And that was right around the when the first season of this ended. So I should mention that um, Telltale's thing is that they release their games in a sort of an episodic kind of way. So um, The Walking Dead that we're going to be talking about today uh, is season one of The Walking Dead and probably for spoiler reasons, as far as plot details are concerned, we're going to talk only about the first episode of the first season. So the first season of The Walking Dead was broken up into five episodes, plus a little DLC thing that I'm afraid I haven't played. And then there's also a second season. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about season one, episode one. Uh, We might allude to other stuff. And that's why we're not going to be including a spoiler break in this episode. We're going to just sort of talk through the game and uh, we're going to do our best not to allude to anything that won't be in the first chapter or the first um, episode. Yeah, we talk a lot about story and story-driven games on this podcast. Usually uh, that's a main focus of the games we decide. And I have to say this game is the most story-involved game that we've played yet. I mean, the story is the game. The characters are the game. There's very little actual gameplay, at least compared to most of the games that we do. Gary and I have both finished the game, and uh, Shane and Nate have only played the first act. So they'll be here sort of for color commentary and uh, and that kind of impressions, <laughs> and anything having to do with the series as a whole will probably be falling to, to you and me, Gary. Yeah. Have you played uh, season two? I know we're not going to talk about it. I'm just curious. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I haven't actually completed season two yet. And that was because when I was playing it really actively, only the first three episodes were out. And so I played up through the third episode and then I just haven't been able to go back to it and and finish the last two episodes yet. I I was sort of waiting until they were both out. I like to play this in big chunks. Side question. Have you um, have you played uh, Wolf Among Us? Not yet. No. Another one that's, oh, I can't wait to play it. What did you think of it? Oh, it's great. Um, I like it a little bit more than I like season two mm. of, of this. Like not, you know, season two of this is great. Telltale goes, does great work. Um, and it's a little bit uh, kind of towards what Shane was talking about. It's not so much more puzzle based, but th- I feel like there is a little bit more gameplay in it. So if that's something you're you're looking for, if you like this general style, uh, might be worth checking out A Wolf Among Us. Also based on a really good comic. So. Yeah, and I have read the uh, the comics, yeah, uh, of, of uh, Fables, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, sounds great. So, Gary, how would you say that this is different from other adventure games that folks might have played? Because I think that 
you know, this is this really represents a new direction for adventure games. Um, a lot of people are going to have played an adventure game, maybe an old LucasArts game or one of the Telltale games or something like um, in the show we talked uh, in one of our previous episodes about. Um, oh, geez. Sorry. What's the Tim Schafer thing? The uh, Kickstarter. Uh, oh, um, um, Broken Age. <laughs> Yeah, Broken Age. I almost just call it Twin Cinema, which is a new <laughs> pornographer's album and not the name of a Tim Schafer. That's a pretty good album, though. It, it's a great good. album. I just knew it was two protagonists. I was like, oh, it's Twin Twin Force, Twin twin Boys. The Shane and Reagan show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but how would you say that, yeah. that this uh, this sort of uh, differs from games that came before it in that way? Like a, a bunch of different ways. And what's really interesting about this, uh, so older adventure games um, are incredibly linear and puzzle-based where there's kind of two sides to the puzzle, one of which is figuring out what you need to do, and the other part is figuring out what the developer thought about what you needed to do. So, so the kind of you know famously or infamously, and this is a genre I have a lot of affection for. Um, but the is you know oh I've got like a rubber duck inner tube, I've got a fishing pole, and I've got a hook, and if I put all these together, I can fish some keys out of the sewer. Um, and that's really just like collecting inventory and trying to stick it together, um, you know, and, and, and that's, that's adventure games for the most part, the traditional adventure games. That goes back to, we've talked on this show a little bit about, uh, I have a lot of affection for the old text-based adventure games, and you'd have to do even more, uh, uh, like another level of guessing what the developer wanted in those, because you had to kind of figure out how the game was parsing your yeah. input as well. You have to, you know, figure out, well... I said uh, turn dial, but maybe I have to say rotate dial. Sure, or use dial, or yeah, and that was a big thing with uh, the the LucasArts games and the Scum Engine, where they they reduced that to a point and click interface and made that a lot simpler. But it's this is uh, Sam and Max games get streamlined to where it is a one click thing. There are no verbs; it's all contextual. And this, I feel like, even takes a step back further from that and uh, really embraces the idea that uh, gameplay can be as simple as choice in a game because that's what these games are is you're making a choice. So you're not really solving puzzles. There's a couple nods towards it. And in my mind, they always feel a little weird in these games where you have to like combine two inventory items or something, um, you know, and, and that feels a little bit off because really what you're doing is you're influencing, you know, just influencing a story and influencing these characters and being put in these situations. It is like a choose your own adventure book. Um, but I don't say that as dismissive because choose your own adventure books are totally games and can totally <laughs> yep. be great, you know, great games if they have really good narratives. Um, and that's what this is about. It's not about puzzles. It's not about inventory management. Um, it is really just about group dynamics and kind of, uh, you know, actually role-playing in a way. Like I want to play Lee as this type of character. Um, my take on this character is that he is, is, you know, this, he's good or he's bad or he's going to portray us or he's not, um, and acting in accordance with that. Yeah, and they, they make you make those decisions so fast. Yeah. Lee as a character, when we start off with him in the back of a police car being driven to jail for murder, uh, at, you know, that having the story start off there, storytelling-wise having us uh, be in the role of a convicted murderer means we can basically pick any kind of person that we wanted to be and what kind of arc we want to have because you could be kind of an angry, vengeful person 
who's like unleashed on a post-apocalyptic world in some sort of crazy warrior arc. Mm -hmm. Or you could be a wrongfully convicted Lee uh, with sort of a redemptive arc. And I feel like it gives you a lot of a lot of freedom to kind of interpret Lee as a character. Yeah, and sometimes you don't know exactly the way those decisions are going to go. I uh, I accidentally at one point, um, res- I, I had to restart a section. And so when I went back through and, and had some discussions, I made a couple different choices to just kind of see what the dialogue would be like. And uh, early on, you're talking to a woman and she says, I want everything to go back the way it was. And one choice leads Lee to going on a rant about everything before was awful. The politicians are all garbage. I'm glad this is all done. And another choice leads to him saying, essentially, yeah, we all wish we could go back to the way things were. So you, you really do have this this broad scope and a, a lot of different ways you can lead your character. I even liked and- that you could, in a lot of cases, just not respond or not act. And that, of course, well, that actually very cleverly was its own choice. And so if you're slow or if you, you know, hesitate, he, he has his own response. And there was a moment that I really liked. One of my favorite moments in the first uh, episode was um, he was just coming out of the house uh, with the little girl Clementine for the first time. And she, uh, you know, he, he, he was asked like, oh, is this your daughter or, or, or what? And I didn't really... I was looking at the three options. I wish I remember exactly what they were, but none of them really seemed to fit. So I just didn't say anything. And mm-hmm. um, so the the other character kind of filled in the blank, and he was like, "Oh, so I guess so. You're just a you're just a good Samaritan." And I was like, "Oh, well, yeah, that's exactly what I am in this in this situation." They they do a really excellent job of um, obfuscating uh, choice and consequence, to where uh, you're making a lot of choices in this game, and not all of them can matter. Uh, if every one of the choices you made actually mattered, you would have uh, this this flowchart to the end, and they would have to plan for, you know, hundreds of different permutations at the end. But there are those weighty choices, and the fact you don't always know when those are going to come about makes every choice matter. Yeah. Like you don't know if this is just going to be, oh, I this isn't how I want to play the game, and that has value. Like I want to come off as this type of guy. I'm role playing this game. That has value. But then when you get that little, you know. Clem will remember this pops up on mm-hmm. the screen. It's, it can be devastating because something that you, you know, and that really teaches you that everything you're doing matters or can matter and, uh, and can actually have this impact. And a lot of it is kind of, sh- you know, trying to, fi- trying to fool the player into figuring out which ones are going to be the things that matter and which ones don't and make even some that seem like they matter. And they even will give you the blank. will remember this and don't actually end up amounting to very much. Uh, but it still feels like a, a weight. You know, like it is the best choice simulator I've played. Like it, it feels really, really heavy when you do something. And a huge part of that is that when it gives you these moments to make choices, we already talked about that it's, you know, they're timed, most of the choices, not all, but many of the choices are on a deadline. And if you don't choose anything, it's going to choose something for you. And often it's not the choice that you would have made yourself. Uh, It's going to choose probably to remain silent. And, you know, you could play this game with Lee just sort of walking around like some kind of catatonic spaceman with cold dark eyes or something <laughs> i wonder what would happen if you did that actually i'm i'm very curious like what would happen if you just never said anything probably everyone would think that uh, lee was a murderer well i mean he is but uh, you know a, a yeah. <laughs> even worse of a murderer and and creep than he is uh, but the fact alleged that, well you know it's it's, <laughs> it's pretty clear uh but 
as you're playing through this, it does not let you skip or fast forward through any of the dialogue. And uh, I think that kind of reinforces this like film-like quality. I know that when I was playing through it the first time, there were some times where I made choices that I you know, didn't like the results of. But because I can't just load back to a quick save and make a different choice and see what happens, you know, loading back usually involves a lot of time because you can't fast forward through these scenes. You can't just rewind. And even if you do load back to an older save, you can't really easily get quickly back to where you were because you're going to be playing through all of the dialogue again. And so it makes it really hard for you as the player to undo a choice. And I think because of that, the choices really feel final and sort of fatal. The, the choices are a big deal. When you make a choice, you're sure, you better be damn sure you choose what you want because it's sticking with you for the rest of this game. Well, and I think that there's um, like a snowballing effect where as you play, you develop an identity in the game and you you wouldn't want to actually go back and game it. You exactly. Know, once they, it's a really nice mix of high consequence and low consequence. And ultimately what it is, is that uh, it's a very low consequence game. There are very few ways to actually die. And when you do, you're able to start right over and do that QTE or what have you. But everything feels very high consequence. So you can actually go with, you know, uh, solutions or choices that maybe aren't optimal and feel okay about it. Because really the only goal, the only way to win this game is to get a narrative you like. You know, getting the seeing the end credits isn't a win. A win is like play this the way that you want to play it, do the things that you think you would do, and uh, and you your reward is not necessarily beating the game or an end credits. It's the story that led you there, that is shaped the way that you wanted it to be shaped. Yeah, you're not going to reach an ending of this game where it's like and everyone lived. Congratulations. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about how this game differs from other adventure games just in terms of its inter interface and also like just the actual physicality of the gameplay. Did you guys play it with a gamepad or with mouse and keyboard? Mouse and keyboard. I played it with a uh, uh, Xbox 360 controller. I, I did keyboard and mouse. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of, about a split. I've played it both ways. And I think that something really amazing about this is that it, I 100% prefer it with a gamepad. Um, I think it's the first adventure game that seems like it's easy to play with a gamepad in this way, or at least the first one that I played to any great degree, or it's definitely the first one that I preferred to play with a gamepad um, because it just makes, you know, you, you're frequently just making these quick choices. It gives you just quick color coded buttons, hit the button and you're in. Um, yeah, it's, it's also nice to play on a gamepad because then you're really prepared when you unlock versus mode. <laughs> at the end and you just you just do the walking dead fighters and you you already know all of you all know all the combos <laughs> super moves yeah. you can do the quarter circles i did find the controls a bit clunky to be honest like i uh, the maneuvering around and some of the things that you had to do real quick point and click grabbing a gun grabbing the ammo firing it i did find to be a little clunky sometimes or a little bit slower than i wanted it to be yeah, the walking mm. was a particular frustration for me. I think that um, they really strove for these film-like camera angles, which are awesome most of the time. You know, you, there are whole stretches of this game where you could just say, okay, I'm watching a great TV show, and uh, they put a lot of care into the camera angles, and uh, that works really, really well until you have to walk around a room, uh, and then you get this hey, very hey, strange... Yeah? Would you say you had walking dread? <sighs> 
I am going to hang up on you, and you're never allowed back on this show. Um, Come on, that was perfect. So, so you, you have this problem where Lee can walk up into an invisible wall. There's tons of invisible walls. Um, the camera doesn't so much follow Lee as just cut between multiple different camera angles. So if you walk out of frame, you might be walking into frame in the next room, or you might be walking sort of into an invisible wall, and Lee just sort of does a moonwalk as he sort of... Yeah, he just sort of shuffles. Yeah, mm. it, it was weird. They've improved that in the second... Um, season but there were some real weird quirks with that here yeah the, I, I i feel like um that is a holdover from the kind of identity crisis of the game and the concessions it makes to uh i, I want to say interactivity but you know as you know choices interactivity but it is almost um you know even though they're more interested in the story they're telling they want you to be able to have an avatar that you move around and the moving around is very rarely important, mm -hmm. uh, and they don't design around it. So, you know, the camera angles are more, you know, like, as you said, are chosen more for impact and kind of visual uh, visual impact as opposed to ease of use. Um, you know, if you wanted to make this, if it was important where you're going to be, they could do an overhead view or an over-the-shoulder view. But it's very rarely important, and it gets frustrating the times when it is. Um, you know, specifically, like you mentioned, we have to grab the ammo or something like that. You have to kind of hunt. And that was it. why I ultimately ended up playing it with a keyboard and mouse was for those times where I have to kick something in the face, <laughs> you know, and I just I could just do it more accurately that way. That's true. But even the mouse, it sort of has a weird kind of um, uh, like float. sticky floatiness to it. Like it, you yeah. can't mm -hmm. you can't truly move your mouse around the screen. You're kind of using your mouse to suggest where a little dot on screen goes. Yeah. But at best, you're sort of giving it suggestions. Yeah, it get, it does get better though. They, I think, it even gets better within this season. That's true. Um, I feel like the the control, and then in second season, they more or less have that wrapped up. So game mechanics wise, we've got our sort of dialogue choices. We've got our sort of use item on kind of verb clicking, more traditional adventure gamey kind of things, and then we've got our quick time events. Uh, something I kind of liked about the um, the quick time events is that a lot of the dialogue even kind of has the feeling of a quick time event because you have to make that choice really quickly. Um, it's uh, I usually am irritated by quick time events. We're, we're talked about them in uh, in the Tomb Raider episode, for example. Usually they get on my nerves, and here we're playing a game with tons of what could be considered quick time events, and somehow they didn't bug me. I'm not sure why that is. I, for me, it was pacing. Um, because you had spent so much time just kind of interacting with characters and dealing with these uh, these tense character dynamics that they almost had an opposite effect than what they do in, say, like Resident Evil 4 or something where they were almost relaxing uh, <laughs> because it's like, oh, like now there's an immediacy to the threat. I don't have to worry about, you know, a month down the road whether this person likes me enough to share food with me. I just have to worry about getting away from this zombie you know, or getting this person who I've grown to care about away from the zombie. And that kind of immediacy uh, was really pleasant and novel in the game. Like, I, I, there, I think those those scenes, the, the quick time event scenes, are never supposed to be the, the function or the focus so much as just a way to break up the pacing. It adds a moment of direct stress. I mean, the game itself is can be stressful, but... So it, it is a, a lot of just talking and a lot of dialogue. And so you have these moments where you're just ah, just jamming your keyboard or your controller as fast as possible. I think it I think it adds like like uh, Gary was saying, just a, 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 diff a different a change to the way you've been playing. Mm -hmm. they're, they're easy choices to make. Yeah. Like yeah, the, the game definitely. doesn't have easy choices to make and it needs to give you some easy choices to make to lit up on fatigue. Yeah. It says. Hit A, hit A as fast as you can, and then hit Y. 
So we've talked a little bit about sort of how the game plays and, you know, the actual sort of construction of it. But I think the best way to really talk about the game, because this is so story driven, would be to kind of go through it a little bit beat by beat and talk about the plot of the game and, you know, how that sort of is... How, how, how that interplay between the player and the story kind of happens. And that's sort of what I think is really fascinating about the game. You know, it's, it's a story being told to you, but in many ways you're telling the story yourself. If you're still listening and for some reason haven't played The Walking Dead, this we're not doing an official spoiler break this episode, but this would be the spot where you'd probably want to want to you know go yeah, and download you, the game. Yeah, you're going to want to go and download the game and play it and then uh, read the comics. <laughs> and, and then go and I don't know, watch at least the first three seasons of the TV yeah. show. Wear the shirt. <laughs> Get the board game. We should also throw out uh, real quick that each of these episodes, which is one of the main reasons it's on this podcast, is uh, I think it took me about two hours, maybe two and a half to complete the first episode. Yeah, so it's I, not a huge time commitment to go right now and play this game and come back. I, I love that so much. Like I, I got on board with this right away. So I was getting the episodes as I came out and I would just come home from work and it was maybe a shitty day at work because I've never worked a job I liked in my whole life. And the uh, would come home and I'd be like, oh, there's a new episode of The Walking Dead. It's like a movie. Like I'm really looking forward to this. It's not relaxing necessarily, but it, it takes about as much time as a movie mm-hmm. you know, to play any individual episode. And that's a really good – like you can play them in the bigger chunks. I really appreciated the serialized just having a really solid gameplay play chunk to kind of look forward to next time I had a couple hours free. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I did sort of play them all in a chunk, but what I mean by that is really I played them one chunk after another. They are broken up into perfect – evenings of of a video game and you know they go so far as to begin each episode with a last time on the walking dead and recap for you your choices from the previous episode in a very sort of uh, tv show style and then at the end you get a teaser of next time on the walking dead and it does an incredible job of containing this into these little discrete bites that you can finish in an evening and i think I don't know of any other company that does this, does games this way. I think it's only Telltale, which is so weird to me. Like, why don't more people do things this way? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're the first people to do it successfully. Like, there are a lot of uh, companies that have tried to do episodic, you know, content like that. And there are some iOS games that do it. But Telltale is is just, you know, really amazing at it. They just, you know, you think about, um, like, infamously, like, the Half-Life episodes were the first time Uh, I learned about this. But even before that, there was, like, Syndicate. There are a couple of different game series that tried to do this, and this they just do it right. And I think part of it is because they get them, you know, they're just working on a timetable that works, and the games are not really technically impressive. So you're not getting this kind of feature bloat or things that come with a, a development cycle. You know, they, every game uses the same engine. You Have you guys seen those, like, people have taken characters from, you, you can kind of map a character onto another character's skeleton. <laughs> and these have done some very funny things with characters doing things that are out of character uh, because they're actually wearing, you know, another character's wearing the skin of another one in a less Creepy, recent way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly. I'm it gets real dark. Yes, go on. Um, <laughs> but there's, there's a, you know, because uh, The Wolf Among Us is dealing with, like, seedy 80s underculture. So there's a lot of, like, characters from Walking Dead, you know, doing cool pimp struts and stuff like that it's very very funny (laughs) yeah they really have gotten the timetable down um i looked back because i picked this up once the first season was complete and i've only played episodically with the second season um but i looked back at the timetable and this was 
basically came out over a course of about six months and it was essentially one episode per month and mm -hmm. that's so perfect you know it i think something like uh you know half-life obviously you know that went all completely off the rails after the second episode but um you can't expect somebody to come back to your game fully ready to go and still excited with the same enthusiasm they had for it when they, you know, when they first went in, if your episodes or your chunks or whatever are happening months or years apart, um, mm -hmm. once a month is a great timetable to have. And Telltale has figured out how to do that without making their game terrible. Yeah. And like a, like a TV show, people, if you do have a bad episode here and there, people will, I think, stick with you. That's true. What's interesting production-wise is the the way they did that was they had teams alternate. So every other episode of The Walking Dead first season, 1, 3, and 5 is written by uh, Sean Vanneman, I think. And then uh, 2 and 4 are written by another guy. And uh, so they were working simultaneously to kind of leapfrog it. And I think that's what they've done each time. That's very smart. I, I, we talk a lot about kind of, I mean, obviously this whole show is on the subject of short games. I, I think... Um, having your game be short or broken up in this way. I, I don't know what the total playtime is for the entire season, but um, broken up in such short chunks uh, and it really gives you kind of a, a freedom to experiment. Like if they, if they had released one episode and had backlash on it, they would still have had time to come back and, and retool. So it gives you a really great sort of first moment. Uh, we're dropped in on a conversation that Lee is having from the back of a cop car with a kindly old sort of police officer guy who's driving him from the courthouse to a prison outside of Macon, Georgia. Macon, is it, does, is, does Macon end with an N or an M? I don't even know that. N, N I believe. Macon, Macon. Georgia. And, uh, or I'm sorry, actually, I think it was Athens. Anyway, this all happens in Georgia. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so that conversation gives you a lot of really good information about Lee, and I thought they just did an incredible job of kind of giving you backstory and also giving you a couple of options to make some initial choices about what sort of person Lee was. We learn in that conversation that uh, Lee killed someone or allegedly killed someone. At this point, a lot of the details aren't really obvious to us. Um, we also learned that he used to be a teacher. We don't know much more about him than that. Um, and all the while we're having this conversation, you're hearing uh, messages coming over the cops radio about more and more sort of upsetting sounding things. Lots of cops are driving a, past you. That's a classic zombie movie trope of, uh, <laughs> you know, everything seems to be hunky dory here in this uh, situation, but uh just listen on the radio. Sounds like there's rioting near the cemetery. <laughs> yeah. And during the, mo you know, in this moment, you have free range to look in any direction that a person, you know, who's handcuffed in the back of a car could look. So you can go almost all the way around to your left and almost all the way around to your right. So you can kind of follow these helicopters that are flying by or these, these uh, police cars that are you know, flying the opposite way very, very quickly. And it does add a pretty, uh, like, like Shane said, definitely zombie trope, but you know, it's a trope for a reason. I thought it was a really nice opener. I liked that it gave me a chance to exercise my sort of general rule, which is never talk to cops. So I just sort of <laughs> sat silently in the back of the police car. There's a point where you can, you can say fuck you and then Lee won't say it. 
you choose that. And that's a really clever, and they play with that a couple of times in the series, the disconnect between your actual agency and the character. Uh, because there's a point where he says um, something like, oh, you know, to me, it seems like maybe you married the wrong woman. And you say, fuck you, Lee. Uh, I don't, can I swear on the show? Yes. I can, yeah. can't remember. Okay. Yes, you, you um, can swear. Okay. Lee, Lee is a, because I did. Uh, fuck Lee is no. About, <laughs> Lee is about to say it and he just goes, you know, like I, I shouldn't do it. But uh, you have like direct control over Lee, but he will kind of think better. Like you're kind of choosing his, uh, <laughs> you know, his his impetus almost rather than his direct actions. Yeah, and, and in a sort of a way that we've seen in other games, I'm thinking maybe of Mass Effect and some others. You know, you're you're choosing dialogue, but you're never choosing exactly what your character is going to say. You're choosing a little short blurb, which then expands into a you know minute or two of interesting, well written dialogue from your character, uh, which I think is a great approach. You know, you're not going to be able to make those choices between large chunks of text and um it's always interesting to hear how lee expresses the choice that you choose yeah, it's, it's, it's again a balance between giving you complete control and uh having the ability to still surprise the player with with your character's actions mm-hmm. so as we're driving along the car uh crashes in fact actually you you see a sort of a shambling person walking across the highway and the cop runs right into him or actually swerves to avoid him and ends up in a ditch in the woods that seem to be along the edge of the freeway or adjoining the freeway and a, and a suburby neighborhood kind of area. Did I, did any of you guys uh, react fast enough to, to say anything in that I moment? Did, yeah. I said, look out. <laughs> it was the only thing I said to that cop. <laughs> did it, did it? Because I was too busy going, "Oh man, we're gonna hit that guy." To uh, to realize that on the screen, it it was giving me options because they're only there for for maybe a second or two, and I did not say anything, and we just demolished the dude. The crash is a is the first time we're introduced to zombies. Of course, um, the car crashes, uh, it flips over. Lee is knocked unconscious, and when he comes to, the police officer is outside the car, having flown through the windshield in a kind of a crumpled heap. And uh, and we have some moments where we have to escape the car, and uh, then of course, officer is a zombie. Uh. Yeah, there's actually a tiny detail uh, to this because I just replayed a little bit of it today. Um, I don't think he actually flew through the window because if you look at his gun, you say, like, why did he have his gun out? Yeah. He also. First, like, hint. Yeah, and he also says something to the effect of, he didn't go out the window. Oh, so. <laughs> well, well, okay. So there's a two pronged hint. Yeah. Uh, one saying that he had his gun out. Two saying that the thing didn't actually happen. Yeah. <laughs> you follow that trail of breadcrumbs. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, I had a couple of problems with this scene in particular, actually, and and the first one was that you know he he's 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 got himself out of the back of the police car. You know, he's looking around. He sees the 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 grisly fate of the officer. Uh, but when the when he when he arms himself because this this so he at this point he's a uh, convict uh, and he's you know the officer is clearly horrifyingly wounded and is crawling towards him and he points <laughs> a gun at the officer and says don't make me do this <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I had the exact same reaction that moment is like man if you ever wanted like, to double your sentence <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, oh God! The officer is uh, his both his legs are broken and he's crawling towards me. His face looks really upset and angry. I'd better <laughs> shoot him with this shotgun. I, I hate how Lee hurt his leg, so it makes it anytime he has to pick something up a really big ordeal. Like he, he's like a lot of uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah. I died twice. 
I, I think I died the most of my entire time in this game uh, in this scene. And it was only maybe two times. And it was one because I had no idea what I was supposed to do because I was still figuring out the controls and did not pick up the gun in time. And then the second time I picked up the gun, picked up one shotgun shell. You have to pick them both up before able being able to shoot. So I was, had picked up and loaded the gun once. And it's like, why can't I shoot? Blah, dead. <laughs> and then on the third one, I was like, all right, I'll pick them both up. Although I still think you only fire one time. I'm putting this all in my letter to Telltale. So. The thing that happens after this, of course, you shoot the officer, you take his keys and unlock your, I guess you'd already, I don't know. You unlock your, your handcuffs and then we get our first glimpse of Clementine through the trees and she kind of looks at you scared and at this point we don't know who she is, just a little girl out in the woods and suddenly zombies everywhere and we have to escape the zombies. And what really struck, struck me as a little odd about this moment was that escaping the zombies at the end of this sequence was entirely automatic, or as far as I could tell. Like, it was it was a scripted sequence. It was not something that was just going to... Um, we, we didn't have a, any quick time events or anything as a part of escaping these zombies. Uh, but it, Yeah, I mean, is there a... At least in the first episode, there aren't many times where you are controlling... Lee running away from things. That's true. Yeah, it's almost all uh, a video. Well, th think about like um, you guys are, are tabletop guy guys too, right? Yeah. Like mm -hmm. you know when you're playing a tabletop game, like you call for roles when the outcome is uh, undecided. Mm -hmm. You know, and since the game could not continue with you just being run down, <laughs> um, you know, it, it, they didn't want it to be one of those pivot points. Like this, this was not the, the GM just says, "Okay, you ran." Yeah. You know. There's, it was no contest. Whereas, like if it were, if they were, they were the other times when you're running, which happens a little bit later, where you know maybe uh, maybe you might trip or something like that. They'll give you a, give you a QTE. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could also see too. You know, these are not fast zombies, and Lee has a broken leg, so or a, a very injured leg, so probably wouldn't be a very fun you know <laughs> run from the zombies moment anyway. So I could see them having play tested that, and they were just like. Nah. I'm I'm happy about this decision. I I agree too. In many ways, it's like other games have done the one guy against horde of zombies thing a lot better than this game would have. So it's like I think it's good that they avoided like they didn't make this a zombie shooter. Obviously, it's an adventure game, but they didn't they didn't lean on any of those dude with guns versus zombies tropes. Even from the very first minute, you could get a sense that this was a game not about killing zombies but about and almost not even about running from zombies but more about just plain surviving mm -hmm. and on the back of each of the graphic novels it even has you know there's, there's this quote about survival or what it you know how long it's been since you really lived like that that's always been a core part of the series and all the medium there's an all media have you guys read world war z i have i tried to i didn't uh, get into it really yeah. oh that world war z is my favorite of all the zombie uh, of any, pretty much anything zombie. I'm a big fan of the Left 4 Dead games, but those are just the kill as many zombies as you can. But anyway, World War Z is is similar in that it's the zombies are what caused you know the um, people to have to go into this survival mode. But it's not really about zombies. It's about the choices people make when put into these situations. Well, and and the choices that people made that made it worse. Like that, that, yeah. that book is a very much like a, a strongly kind of progressive book politically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just because it is. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, you, 
terrible decisions by terrible people in the interest of getting money caused a lot of people to die, hmm. which which happens all the time in real life. And uh, in in that book, they just took that to its illogical conclusion, where it almost causes the end of the United, you know, end of people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the don't watch the movie, or if you do, just forget they named it World War Z. Just think they named it Brad Pitt in the Battle of a Billion Zombies. Yeah, and it's all right. But I saw it; it was okay. Book. But yeah, I didn't resemble the book at all. I didn't finish the book. Maybe I should go back to oh, it eventually. Man, I, I'm a yeah. I, I love the book, and I think there are there are some similarities in tone between at least the game Walking Dead. I'm not as familiar with. I've seen the first season of the show, but it's more about people dealing with an issue uh, and trying to survive. The zombies happen to be the issue, but it could be any number of different things. Yeah, and the story wouldn't change dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a Beautiful short story uh, by uh, T. Caragas and Boyle that is called uh, After the Plague. It has no zombies in it whatsoever, but uh, if you're liking that sort of feel. Uh, but anyway, but, sorry, back to the... Uh, we were talking about The Walking Dead video game. <laughs> yes, and and continuing the plot. Back to... Uh, we, we were just getting, uh, getting to the point where uh, you escape the, the first horde of zombies that you see. And I had, I had one stylistic thing that really bugged me right off the bat here. And that was, as far as I could tell, this is like day one of of this outbreak or something. And yet every single zombie we see from the word go looks like he's been rotting in the sun for months. Yeah, <laughs> totally true. And then they never get any significantly worse than that either. It's like they the zombies were, are, and forever shall be exactly gross. <laughs> A weird gross. That, that's 100% true. I didn't even think about that. I think if, if, they, if they didn't do that... Um, you would end up having to play with the idea of people being recognizable as people mm-hmm. and having to figure out that they're zombies more, which is an interesting way to take it. But I think that they just weren't interested in doing that. Well, in and the yeah. comic, they get around that because your your main character, Rick, was oh, know, unconscious coma. for in a coma for like some many months. And I thought maybe they were doing that with Lee because when he came to, he was like, oh, I'm super thirsty. And I was like, how, how long was he out? But like he can't have been out for days. Like I think, I think uh, he was out for six. The months. parents had been nope. gone for <laughs> three days. Didn't uh, didn't she say her parents were gone for three days? Yeah. So worst it could have been would be three days. And I, I mean, I've I've never left a rotting body out in the sun for three days. But oh, you should give it a try sometime. <laughs> You've never been. <laughs> I never have. Yeah, that, that's a that's a really astute point, and weirdly something I didn't notice like in playing these games at all. But that that's one hundred percent true. One of the things that I love in the comics is that they talk a lot about um, kind of the the time cycle, almost the, the yeah the time cycle of it. They talk about you know in the winter uh, the zombies uh, freeze, and so it's for the most part safe in the colder parts of the country because the zombies are icicles, uh, things like that. And um, you know as time goes on, they get more and more rotted. They they are weaker and. Uh, Things like that. So I, I was kind of looking, uh, l- looking for that at the beginning. Yeah, and I hope they'll play war with that. But um, I don't think that they really did. They kind of just the zombies are the zombies as they ever were and shall be, and etc. And they have the the feel of classic horror movie zombies. They're very George Romero. Um, you know, you you know yeah. that these are zombies. There's no question about it. But yeah, well, that's a good point. Th- that's that's probably those two things are probably connected. So like they they look like classic zombies. One, 
because they needed to be visually identifiable because they they didn't want to mess with that kind of realism or time cycle. Like that wasn't what they wanted to focus on, even, you know, for better or worse. And then two, when we talk about how it's a story about how people survive, uh, they're drawing from George Romero, you know, Dawn of the Dead, as opposed to the, uh, what is Zack Snyder, Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. It is, you know, even, you know, spoilers for Night of the Living Dead, but like the, you know, the end of that movie is gut-wrenching, like the 1960s public domain version, because it is, it is just a human killing another human. You know, it is. It has nothing to do with zombies, and that's always been what good zombie fiction is about. And I think that having them look so iconic is 100% intentional. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what we're trying to evoke. Yeah. It's like really good zombie fiction. It, it doesn't even need to be zombies. We're just looking at a world in which violence becomes incredibly commonplace. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do people deal with that? You know, how do you protect yourself in a world where everything is obscenely violent everywhere? Mm-hmm. So... We finally escape this initial horde of zombies and uh, and make it to a house in the suburbs and where we meet Clementine, although we actually don't meet her initially. The first thing we do upon entering the house, probably, if you're like me, apart from, you know, searching every drawer, uh, is, uh, is here. I, I did the same. Yeah. No, not really. I played too to many know. video games. There's nothing yeah. in the drawers, guys. You <laughs> basically can skip it for the most part. Spoilers, yeah. Um, but we hear some messages. You mean you didn't find the trophy? Oh, damn it. <laughs> I missed all the achievements. Oh, uh, there, yeah. There's something about achievements, but I'll wait for a better part. Uh, sorry, go <laughs> there, on. There's a... Uh, there's a uh, there's a message, or actually a series of messages on the answering machine, um, which like is this supposed to be the modern day who has answering machines? Um, uh, and they're they're gut wrenching, you know. You they're they're like I went in, I I listened to those messages, and immediately my heart fell down to my guts. You know, there's the, the her parents calling Clementine, or initially calling her sitter to say, hey, we're stuck. There's you know uh, uh, her father. Uh, dealt with a crazy guy and had to go to the emergency room. And then, you know, there's another message that's really panicked. And the final message is just from Clementine's mom that says, you know, Clementine, baby, if you can hear this, call the police. We love you. We love you. And it's just like, oh, my God, it ripped my heart out. Mm -hmm. And and then we finally talk to Clementine over the radio who's hiding out in the uh, in the treehouse. It's another world where they don't know that zombies exist before zombies start happening, which I do. Whereas, think you know, we, is, fortunately, we do. We know all about zombies existing. Yeah, I know. I think a zombie, <laughs> if zombies were to actually happen in the real world that we have, the response would be totally different because everybody calls out zombie on anything, like anybody who's like sick and like, they're like, oh, he's a zombie. So we're well, way more aware of zombies. But in this world, they're not aware of zombies until they're happening and every <laughs> other zombie world. But, uh, you know, we hear daddy was attacked by a crazy man and we're like immediately... Well, he's dead. <laughs> yep. He's, he is for sure a zombie at this point. <laughs> um, I, I really liked the character of Carly. You like the character of what? Clementine? Carol Clementine. Why did I say Carly? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I was just flipping the names. Carly's the... Uh, Carly, yeah, Carly's uh, the uh, journalist. Pistol packing uh, reporter. With a heart full of napalm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Clem- <laughs> Clementine's great. Like uh, Clementine. Man, yeah, that's something adorable. I wish... I wish I, I want to at some point in my life be described as pistol packing and a heart full of napalm. That is a, <laughs> that is a fantastic description. <laughs> the, uh, uh, yeah, Cle- Clementine, um, like that's, you know, that's the emotional core of the game, right? Yeah. And ultimately as the themes develop, like this is part of the great, you know, 2012 daddening of games where <laughs> it is about, a, about an older man taking care of a younger girl in a post-apocalyptic setting. 
see also The Last of Us, see also lots of other games. Um, and and they had to make her like really, really compelling and charming and more almost more than that, like never annoying. And I think both those games succeeded that pretty well. Like, yeah. um, you know, the, the girl in The Last of Us is great. Clem is great. Like I, you know, you end up like really caring for both of them. They're very different games. And this one, there's more you in the you. You know, there's more you in Lee than there is a uh, you in uh, Last of Us Man. Mm-hmm. What is it? Johnny Last. Joel. Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> Nathan Drake. It's Johnny Last of Us. Yeah. The, it, he's the titular <laughs> character. It, it's the part I was born to play. <laughs> but yeah, it is. I I, I kind of made a note to myself about this. I was like, is this a good escort mission or the best escort mission in history? The entire Walking Dead series. It's how every escort mission should be, in that it's not really an escort mission. <laughs> it's yeah, uh, it's it's does an amazing job of making Clem um, a character worth talking to. You know, she's a little girl, but she's an interesting little girl. Most children in video games are you know decor with one phrase that they can repeat, and uh, Clem is a real breathing character who I felt was believably nine years old or eight years old Mm -hmm. and was still like all the dialogue between her and Lee, you know, here and in some of the later scenes and throughout the series, all the dialogue between her and Lee felt believably like an interesting educated adult talking to a child, you know, like in a way that wasn't embarrassing. Like so often dialogue in video games just has a grown aspect to it. All the dialogue between Lee and Clem, there's some, there's some groaner dialogue in this, but Lee and Clem all the dialogue is on point. Yeah, and good voice acting. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The uh, and it, it's very fun to play through the game and go through the whole series where you actually get to kind of see Clem develop and see that you're kind of having an effect. Yeah. On her, so not only is she an interesting person, but you actually have some some control and some influence as to how she develops as a person. You know, she's not calci- calcified when you meet her, uh, which is just really really cool. Clementine's house, house. We leave Clementine's house either during the day or during the night. And does it does that matter? I couldn't tell. I don't think so. I chose the I chose, day because yeah, I did too. Did anybody here pick safer. night? Because I I don't know. Um, Why would you move at seemed, night? Seemed dumb. <laughs> but uh, I I assume that you may still make it to Herschel's farm. Yeah, I don't think there's any <laughs> big uh, big change there. And then we uh, we meet. Uh, I think it was Sean Herschel's son. And um, now that's an interesting part because. Um, Herschel is one of the two characters, really, two or three characters that are actually from the comics that are in this game. And and also the TV show, yeah. Yeah, he is a very... His, him and his whole situation is very different. Like, he, he looks a little different than he did in the comics, um, than, he, than he did in the... Uh, in, in the in, mm-hmm. his appearance is different. Well, here we we're encountering him before we were encountered him in the comics or the TV yes. show. But also, his family is different. We see one family member. We see his son, and that family member, uh, you know, spoiler alert, uh, is one that ha- has been dead since long ago in all the other media where we've seen Herschel. But we're not seeing um, his other daughters, who you know tie in. Which was a surprise to me, considering that we eventually became pretty uh, tight with Glenn. Because um, when Glenn eventually makes it to Herschel's farm, he has a relationship with one of Herschel's like five kids. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Mister Show uh, 
the the joke the musical <laughs> thing the like the traveling salesman you know the farmer with the the daughters that sounds like a great that sounds like a souls. really really good reference bro i don't i've never watched this <laughs> <Mr>. show <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you for calling me out on that you're welcome I, I wish more people would do that sorry so it's you. probably no, a great a, reference but i don't I'm, no, i don't get it at all it it was it was good you know i like i'm a little bit weird i like reference humor mm-hmm. i just like things that are random and <laughs> oh my god you're yeah. so cool <laughs> yeah thanks thanks bud <laughs> uh the the what it what is is i i'm so used to people who know that thing where i could have just said the thing but i didn't yeah. so i was prefacing it that was that was my mistake <laughs> no um, problem no mr show has been on my on my netflix thing for like a hundred years and never happened <laughs> anyway a hundred years well I, I was an early adopter in the future there will be a show called mr show uh I can't remember from the comics. Do they have a? Is there a part of Herschel's story that is uh, his family coming to him uh, in order for safety? Um, like he yeah. gathered up people from the surrounding areas. You know that might be the case, but I, I seem to remember his um, his daughters having like grown up there on the farm, uh, like and describing their like sheltered upbringing. So uh, you know, he's. I don't see any reason why his many kids would not live with him. So they were all just up in the bedrooms. We just never saw them come out. They're, they were, they're to be seen know. and not heard. Yeah. yeah. Stay in the house. Well, so at Herschel's farm, and actually I will say that when I saw this game go to Herschel's farm for the first time, as somebody who watched the TV show, all of season two of the TV show takes place at Herschel's farm. And it was the worst. Like that was where I stopped watching the show. Basically is like, it was the most boring piece of crap season of TV. I've, it was good in the comics, guys. Yeah, it was, but it was really boring in the TV show. And when we when we arrived at Herschel's farm, I was like, oh, God, here we go again. They're going to be on Herschel's farm for the rest of eternity. But fortunately, no, it's a reasonably fast thing. At Herschel's farm, we meet some important characters. We meet Kenny, who's a sort of a, a you know friendly redneck with a sweet mustache and uh, an interesting wife named Katya, who's a uh, who's a, a veterinarian. H- hang on, hang on. I'm not done shitting on Herschel. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, <laughs> Herschel makes a huge deal about not killing zombies in all the other media. He's like, oh, they can be cured. We'll save them. He kills like five zombies. That's true. It was clearly not consistent with the comics. Anyway, sorry, I'm I'm done now. (laughs) Okay, cool. So yeah, um, we meet Kenny and his wife, Katya, who's... Do anybody have any idea where her accent was from? I was lost. I think she was Russian, Russian, maybe. Russian. Okay. The Ukraine. Okay, and then and their kid Duck, um, who is the most annoying. Like, okay, if we look at Clementine as like all the best of a child character in a video game, Duck represents to me all the worst. Um, yeah, and he looked exactly like Sid from Toy Story. He did. So I, ha- so I hated him double. <laughs> He's and, the worst. Okay, we're you know I'm gonna. Jump forward a second. Did anyone choose to save Duck when you had the option? Okay, here's what was really interesting. So the first playthrough, I was like, okay, you can't, you can't. There's a moment in the game. You have to choose between saving Sean, Herschel's son, who's an adult, and saving Duck. And the first time I played through this game, I was like, um, well, I've got to choose Duck. You know, that's not right. You, you do you not have to choose Duck. And then, and then, so this time around, I was like, fuck no, Duck's going to die. This is going to happen. I'm going to choose to save Sean and make absolutely damn sure that Duck dies if I have to shoot him myself. And unfortunately, it does not happen. Even if you try to save Sean, it changes really dramatically the way that the characters are going to react to you, but it doesn't change the way the events play out. And unfortunately, Duck is with you for a significantly long chunk of the Walking Dead season one. 
Um, yeah, here was my yeah. thinking. So, you know, to set it up, Duck was on a tractor and Sean was working on a fence. Zombies come through the fence. You have to make kind of a snap decision between Sean and Duck. And I'm thinking, listen, zombie apocalypse. I need all the able-bodied people I can get. Duck is annoying. He looks like Sid. <laughs> he's out. I don't, I don't want to deal with this kid. Cut from the team. Not my kid. <laughs> Not. He's going to die anyway. It's the zombie apocalypse. He's probably I mean, giving Clementine bad ideas. Yeah. So, sorry, Duck. I'm picking up Sean, and like Reagan said, it doesn't matter. It This one actually set me up to make another interesting decision later, which we'll get to. But, um, yeah, he's Duck is going to be alive no matter what. Yeah. But it does mm-hmm. definitely change how the people respond to you, which is also very important to the game. Only one good thing about Duck. Uh, pretty late in the game, uh, Duck is sitting out there, like, rambling on, just sort of in the background, and he's talking about Super Dinosaur, which is a, a great uh, kid-friendly comic book from uh, Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman. Oh, really? Hmm. Sweet ref, bro. I heard him talking, but I had no idea that that was like an actual thing. I thought it was like a made-up thing. No, Super Dinosaur is, in fact, a made-up thing. It is not a real dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're dealing primarily with made-up things. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Reagan, did you think this was like a documentary game? Uh, like- yes. Ken Burns Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah. I would watch that. We need to do more. We need to do. We need to play more Ken Burns games. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Ken Burns should totally make a like a uh, um, an adaptation of um, uh, World War Z. That would be amazing. That would be that would be incredible. Actually, ah. that, that, that's what the way I wanted World War Z to be. Well, yeah, World War Z is a series of interviews. The book is, and yeah. then the movie—it's very Studs Terkel. Yeah, the movie's sweet ref, bro. Studs Brad Turkle. Pitt running everywhere. Yes, yeah, <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet reference, Reagan. Everybody knows you make the best references. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I ended up saving Duck just because I wanted you to monster to Kenny. <laughs> well, I I was thinking of it in terms of like, you know, me and Kenny are bros. I like this guy. Yeah, I heard know? Kenny had a boat, and I was like, I gotta be with Kenny. Also. Best hair in the game. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Easy. So um, we fail to save Sean, and we possibly maybe kind of save Duck, or or maybe he just survives despite our best efforts. And then um, because because of our role in not allowing his child to die, uh, Kenny offers you a ride to Macon, Georgia. And that is where uh, we, well, actually, ar- upon arriving in Macon, uh, we we get into what seems like the most closed-in small town downtown I have ever seen. Um, it's and we're immediately surrounded by zombies and are chased into the first building that we can arrive at, which fortunately or unfortunately enough is the pharmacy, uh, where a lot of the remainder of the game is going to take place. Um, can I just say, if you know your truck is running out of gas, which is why they get out of the truck. I wouldn't just drive into the middle of a city in the middle of a zombie apocalypse. I think I'd probably let that guy kind of die off to the side, maybe look for some gas, not just coast right into the middle of a of a downtown area. But it turns out working out for him. Stopping for gas would have probably been wise, but there they are. They arrive at Macon, in Macon, George, Macon. I can't say it right. It's like bacon, like right? Bacon. Like bacon. Yeah. Okay. They, they arrive at Bacon, Georgia. And uh, they're chased into the drugstore where we meet some new characters. Um, 
Uh, we've got Macon George, uh, Macon Bacon George. Uh, yes. <laughs> some bacon in it. Sweet re- another Yeah, that was another sweet reference. reference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we all just agree that we all make sweet references, bros? We all do, yes. <laughs> Bro, you, all you bros are my sweetest of reference bros. Right. <laughs> so in the, uh, the sweet uh, drugstore, uh, we meet some uh, interesting new characters. We've got Doug, who is the nerdy guy. I mean... Not a lot else to say about him. He's not like wearing spectacles and a pocket protector. He's just sort of more like a, you know, um, modern generation Y nerdy guy. He's goony. All we had to go on for that kind of nerdy definition for him was the fact that everyone else said it and uh, that he was wearing a graphic (laughs) tee. Yeah. Yeah. You really don't interact with him very much at the beginning. It's just everyone's like, oh, that guy. Mother's basement kind of (laughs) guy. The one thing I like about that, though, is in real life, if you were in that kind of scenario, there would be that guy. <laughs> you, like, you just imagine just being in a drugstore full of survivors and then just one guy who's just, you know, just Invader Sim, Zim quotes all night. Hey, guys. Just happy to be here. No one's on my IRC channels. Uh, oh, if only Doctor Who was here. Yeah. Like, just constant Doctor Who quotes and, and, uh, oh, God. and, and me rage face. Sweet references. Uh, but even that being said... It- there's only one moment that really has any character with him, and it's that he knows how to program a t- TV remote. Oh, my God. Okay, I mean, can I just say, this is my least favorite moment of dialogue in the entire game. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it up, and it won't happen for a minute. But, oh, my God. Um, you're outside the... In a minute, when we get to this point, you're outside the uh, the pharmacy talking to Doug, trying to turn on a bunch of TVs across the room. And the dialogue choices basically were like, Lee gets to mock Doug for having essentially saved their asses. He says something like, well fucking done, Doug. All that dork nonsense might save a life. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Ah, worst dialogue ever. And and Doug says something like, um, I miss my robots. Oh my God. <laughs> worst dialogue in the game. Anytime that Lee talks to Doug, the dialogue goes to shit. Yeah. Whenever something like that happens, I assume the writer is making references to things I don't know. Uh, you may be right. Like, that's some kind of, like, deep Idle Thumbs cut or something, <laughs> you know? No, you know somewhere someone, some deep Walking Dead fan is like, they sweet, they mentioned the robots. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, things got real weird after you stopped reading it, Shane. Yeah, <laughs> the the robot so. uprising I that, guess so. that, that happened afterwards. But uh, there's, a, there's other people in this drugstore too, right? There's, uh, we meet Carly, the, uh, the reporter, and there's a father and daughter combo. Uh, that really drive the kind of next part of the plot. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, That's I just Lily played this game, but I can't read. Larry. Yeah. Lily is Lily and Larry. a uh, uh, Air Force mechanic, uh, which I thought was uh, you know a detail that they mentioned once and I don't think ever comes up again. And um, she's sort of a tough-as-nails type of you know mean lady, but kind of clearly very capable. And uh, Larry, her father, who is a character of an angry old dude like he's the that really bad neighbor that you have that yells about your dog peeing on his yard or whatever he's full grand torino yes <laughs> <laughs> he even sings the song oh <laughs> oh, oh and <laughs> yeah. of course uh and of course continuing the full grand torino we've got uh glenn the asian kid from the comics yeah the scrappy guy who like has no problem just running out into the town and jumping around cars and i mean i he's in the he's in the show right i've yeah. seen the first season of the yeah. show he's a major part of the show mm-hmm. um and he's yeah he, exactly he goes the on to uh, wind up uh, with the rest of the show gang at herschel's 
and uh, winds up marrying one of Herschel's uh, daughters, mysteriously absent from this video game. Mm-hmm. So Glenn is uh, Glenn is one of our one of our connections between this and um, and the comics or TV show. I actually kind of think that they threw a lot of those into this first episode, like Herschel and Glenn, and then kind of gave up on them. And as they realized that this game could stand on its own and that they didn't need to pepper it with references to the other media in order to you know make it appeal to people. That's 100% the case. Like, and, and it's funny with the way they did it. I'm glad this game came out when it did uh, because it was before the show was so huge. Um, I don't even know if the show had been out at that point. I don't either. I'm not exactly sure. Sure. But the uh, I feel like if the game was made now, there'd be a lot more fan service to the show just for, for money, for dollar signs issues. And this was more just to tie it into the comics. And for fans of the comics, and the comic is wildly successful, but a wildly successful comic means almost nothing. <laughs> like, you know, comics don't sell. Yeah. On a cultural level, yeah. I would be willing yeah. to bet that more people have played this game than than read the comics. 100%. Like, I, I would not be surprised at all. This is clearly based on the comics, uh, even down to the art style. And actually, I will say that art style-wise, the comics have this very distinctive black and white only approach, which really suits them well. Um, but, but art style-wise, this clearly looks drawn. You know, it's not... It would have been interesting to see the game in black and white. It would have been probably uh, kind of technically a little bit difficult. I've never really seen a, a black and white video game that, you know, mimicked kind of an illustration style in a really convincing yeah. or good I way. mean, cell shaded is, am I incorrect in saying that this game looked very, it was more of a cell shaded yeah, design? kind of. I wouldn't say that it's using cell shading. I think that they're just, their textures are very painterly. Uh, it's definitely like it's textured or, you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not a. Yeah. Cell shaded would be if they had kind of applied a, uh, like a, 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 a kind of a post processing effect to kind of create a smooth, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, heavily bordered look. Yeah. I don't know. I was thinking it, 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 their faces at times reminded me of like Borderlands type characters. Yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to Borderlands in a lot of the stylistic. And visually, but. Know, Art not in moments. any other way. <laughs> yeah, thank goodness. Yeah, you know. right. Um, well, all the sweet guns you get and all the sweet loot. <laughs> yeah, all of them with meaningless incremental upgrades. Yeah. Oh, like this, I, I, I have a 0.02 efficacy for my choice mechanic. Oh, nice. <laughs> Is that better I, than the 0.01 and 0.01 elemental damage for it? Oh, an acid screwdriver. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. The answer is yes. I am gonna. Uh, I'm gonna really grind to upgrade my uh, empathy uh, marker. <laughs> so we uh, we encounter all these interesting characters, and uh, you know, after fleeing into the drugstore, it's immediately obvious that Larry is kind of an asshole, uh, but also just sort of a pragmatist. He thinks that Duck has been bitten because Duck is covered in muck and also uh, was recently attacked. But fortunately, Duck. Or perhaps, unfortunately, Duck wasn't bitten. Um, we clean Duck off, and uh, and Larry completely hulks out because he's super pissed and needs nitroglycerin pills because his heart is problematic. Fortunately, we're in a uh, in a pharmacy, but the pharmacy part of the pharmacy, you know, the part where you actually get the sweet drugs, is all locked up. So a big part of the next chunk of the game has to do with cracking open that pharmacy and getting to the sweet drugs inside. I think they really had a misstep with uh, Larry because he is chosen as, or kind of posited as this, uh, uh, you know, you're choosing sides in the game you ultimately learn. And for me, they made this guy really unlikable really quick. 
Yeah. Like I, I did not like him at all. And one of the, their, uh, their goals was to make, um, a game where this, the, all the decisions were hard and you'd be split about 50, 50, you know, with everything they wanted the audience to be split 50, 50, but this along with another uh, decision that comes a little bit later, um, they really kind of dropped the ball on because Larry just seemed like a colossal asshole. And I mean, I guess we were playing like psychopathy. That's, you know, a dark pragmatist, uh, you know, you could go with him, but for me, it was, it seemed very obvious and the, the kind of, you know, some of the texture didn't really reveal itself until later when the decisions got a little bit harder. That's true. And I didn't really think about it in the, in that way at the time, but later on when it does really ask you to choose between like Larry and I suppose sort of Kenny or other, other, other parties. Yeah. That was a really easy choice. Cause I was like, I want to, I want this guy to die of his heart condition immediately so that my group will be better off. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that you could see it as them sort of easing you into kind of these heavily consequential choices during this first episode. Like when, when you have to pick between Duck and Sean, um, you know, that seems like an incredibly weighty decision, but then you're immediately shown that like there was no real consequence to it. And then when it's like, do you side with, with, with Kenny? Like it's, you know, you start to kind of get pushed one way or another, uh, right up through the end of this one where you make what I think was probably the only really difficult and weighty decision in this first act. Yeah, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about when we get to it. But yeah, that's 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 true. And I feel like they are kind of many of the choices don't have the weight of that big final one or, you know, close to final one. So our big puzzle, if you will, is getting into the pharmacy. Um, and actually something that I thought was really great in terms of storytelling was that as we're working on that, we get a sort of an offhand comment where someone says to Lee that they pulled a couple of bodies out of the office. And Lee kind of has a pained reaction on his face at the moment. And it takes some time to really put it together, but we kind of discover that Lee's parents uh, owned and ran this pharmacy that we happen to be taking shelter in. And also his brother worked there as a pharmacist. And I thought that the the way that they kind of revealed that information, you know, they didn't just say, oh, my parents pharmacy like we 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 find that out very slowly and the way that we the way that we learn what's going on is mostly through lee's sort of reactions and mostly they're nonverbal. and i didn't expect this game to be able to pull that off it really did yeah lee uh doesn't want people to know who he is some of the people in this little in your group are from macon so they would maybe know the story of lee uh, having been tried for murder and all that. So he tries to keep everything very, very quiet. And I actually went about this uh, this one, just the order that I inspected objects and talked to people, the one where he's told they took an old couple out of the out of the office was actually just about the last thing I interacted with in that room. So I actually went into the office first where you find a mattress with a lot of blood on it and no no people and Lee is very, very distraught and not quite, at least I at that moment am not quite sure what has happened to his parents. And then to find out at the very end that they were, were in fact in that room dead. Cause I was kind of thinking maybe they, one of them was alive somewhere. Maybe they were both zombies and I was going to have to shoot them. Um, and it, it was a really, really, I thought one of the most emotionally uh, charged parts of the game was the slow reveal 
of of Lee and his connection with that with the building and the people who work there and yeah. live there. And it doesn't oversell it. Lee doesn't break down. Lee keeps his shit together, but you see it hit him and I think that was really great. Like it doesn't it doesn't make a huge diversion from the the task at hand, which is surviving and getting into the pharmacy and, you know, getting out of the pharmacy again, but uh, you see that hit Lee and I thought that was great. Yeah, there's uh, one kind of element to Lee's character that we haven't talked about that much is family is talked a lot, uh, talked about a lot in this game, and almost every time it's brought up, Lee uh, will kind of try to dance around the subject. Or I mean, there are times when you can choose to talk about it, but he definitely was. I, uh, you can assume that during the trial. He has really not talked to his family for quite some time. So this is not a man who was incredibly close with his parents and is now witnessed, you know, essentially finding that they're dead and shrugging it off. It's it's more, I think, of a regret of having no longer been close to them. I didn't really think about that, but but in reflect, reflection, family is a huge theme in this game. It is. And, you know, the the idea that he's not close with his true family, but he's as he's protecting Clem, he's sort of finding this new family. Yeah. yeah. You create a, you, you know, that's how it works. Now you create a family and all the other characters were with their families. Cause I guess that's what people do in an emergency, but, but it becomes such a, such a, for every single character, uh, family is like a driving theme. Yeah. So Glenn who has left to go investigate, looking for, food or gas or something, I forget what, um, gives you a call on a radio that you had lent him and says that he's stuck at a motor inn. And um, you and Carly uh, need to go and, and help her, help Lee, help Glenn get out of his tight spot. And actually, this was where, just before this actually, was where one of the other moments that I got really frustrated with the game was, and I just wanted to divert and talk about it real quick. Um, so we were talking about the puzzles in the game, and I think sort of the overall puzzle of this of this part of the game is getting into the pharmacy. I think that's a good example of where the game does puzzles well, because it's more of an environmental thing. It's about surviving. It's not about find six objects, combine them into a weird thing, and then stick it in this weird shaped hole, and suddenly something opens up, like you get in a lot of adventure games. But there was a moment in this where Carly who is a reporter and a clearly intelligent woman was trying to use an FM radio to check out what was going on. And she's like, I can't figure oh, out what's going yeah. on with this radio. It doesn't work. <laughs> and so you pick up the radio and you turn it over. Well, there's no batteries in it. Okay. Mm. Well, thanks Carly for not noticing that, but okay. So then, the, then you have a puzzle of find the batteries and put them in. So you find two batteries, you give Carly these two double a batteries and uh, I, I, I made a note of one of the dialogue things. She says she she said when you when she asks you to to fix the radio for her, she says, thanks. I wouldn't even know what to look for. They're double A's. <laughs> they are double A batteries. Of course, you know what to look for. You are an intelligent woman. And then um, you do find two double A's in random places around the uh, the room. And then you go and give them to Carly and she puts them in the radio and she's like, it's still not working. I don't know what's wrong. She puts them in backwards and you have to open up the radio and put them in the front ways for her. Like this was this was the most frustrating moment of the game. It felt like they were trying to shoehorn in a inventory style puzzle into this game that doesn't really play on those. And they did it by making this character seem like a complete moron. 
yeah, for seemingly no purpose because she at every other point of the game is a str- like a very intelligent, strong, thinking person and a a crack shot and just really able to take care of herself. She was a lead reporter. And for some reason she doesn't know what double A batteries are, like, <laughs> and she's involved in and she the doesn't technology know which way field. To put them in, like, yeah, come on, no. there's a diagram that shows you which way to put them in. <laughs> Maybe she's an illiterate reporter, and that's what makes her so much more inspiring. Oh my god, you're right. The, uh, and that's why we're supposed to respect her even more, is because she rose to the ranks. Well, I wish I, I, I chose her. You're you're 100 right that it is just them trying to, I think, just stick in a puzzle. Like we need we need a little bit more content, guys. So I didn't even find the two batteries. I was just like, "This is that's stupid," and I just went forward with it. You're right. I think it's because I you actually can go on without it. Can I? Can I tell you guys a secret? I also don't know what AA batteries look like. <laughs> so, well, it actually is kind of hard to find them in that in that room. You know, they don't really stand out against all of the random food wrappers and shit that's all over the floor. So, yeah, I found one of them, and I was like, eh, "If I run into the other one, whatever." And the payoff of it wasn't <laughs> great. You hear half of a broadcast in which the people at her radio station that she works for are in the process of going off the air, and uh, and one of them is maybe getting eaten or something. And it's not exactly a whole lot of payoff for what amounted to me to probably the most, the single most bizarre and frustrating part of the game of mm. the first chapter anyway. And fortunately, you know, they don't do this a lot afterwards. Like having played through all of uh, the first season and most of the second season, I never found another puzzle in the game that made me, you know, what the fuck quite as strongly as this one did. But Oh. One of the, it's it's good to to call that shit out when it happens, but it's also worth noting. And not only was this the first one in the series, but this is the first game I remember playing that was like this really at all. Yeah. Um. You know. So they're really trying to do something new. So I'll give them a little bit of leeway. That's true. You no know, pun intended there. Uh. Just based on the fact that uh. You know, they're they're blazing trails. They had there's some growing pains in That's it. That's true. You know? And this was sort of just an echo of older styles of adventure games. This is the kind of thing that you would expect every five minutes if you were playing a uh, totally you know a typical adventure even, game. Even even a even a Telltale game from a year before. Yeah, like this is the kind of thing that happens all the time in like Sam and Max season two. Um, you know, and that's the point of it. And then you just kind of have some funny dialogue to distract you from it. But the actual gameplay itself is not very engaging. And it might be, I might be willing to believe that, um, a talking dog doesn't know what a double A battery is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a reporter. Um, yeah, it, it is. Uh, I think it would be egregious if they kept doing that shit. And I think the the series would not have its reputation and I would not be as big a fan. Uh, the fact that one of the things that you can say about the series is the fact that they do the episodes in such a short term, you get to see the evolution of the series really quickly and you get to see them learn from their mistakes really fast. You know, like uh, if you if you play like, you know, Fallout 3 and then it takes, you know, however many years for New Vegas to come out and to rectify some of the mistakes of Fallout 3. Here, it's like, well, you know, they do that a little bit less next month. They do it a little bit less next month. And then by episode five, you're really not doing that shit. You're, I mean, I'm not, I'm not calling you out. No, no, absolutely. For pointing out because it is bullshit. Like, it is <laughs> it dumb. Was such bullshit. Um, you know, it, it is a real, it is a truly dumb thing. I'm just happy that they, they fixed yeah, it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm glad she died. <laughs> hey, hey, yeah. hey, hey. Yeah. And actually, that's optional. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. <laughs> so um, we have, so we've, we've put the batteries back in the radio for the woman who clearly was, uh, her, her college education was not including um, basic electronics operation. Um, and so now we have a little puzzle scenario. This was something that actually, another thing that kind of puzzled, puzzled me about the flow. I wanted to continue with the plot, uh, but I wasn't able to go and, 
and play out a certain scenario. That is, there's a, there's a scenario where you can go outside and talk to Doug about um, grabbing the keys from one of the corpses that is pinned under a under under a fallen electrical pole out there. And I, I spent a long time trying to figure out how to go out and do that. And as it turns out, you need an axe, and you can't get that axe unless you go on a sort of. I, I think it almost sort of amounts to a side quest where you go out to the motor inn. This is a little bit of gating that I think they were kind of doing in order to prevent you from skipping the motor inn chapter, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the motor inn chapter is very important, So, it, but it, it was inelegantly gated because there's a moment where you're like trying to figure out how to, you can go as far as turning on the TVs across the street, which you need to do in order to distract the, uh, the zombies that are shuffling around out there with noise, uh, and then it's pretty clear that the next thing you need to do is break the window in front of those TVs so that the zombies can hear them and then be distracted so you can run and grab the thing. Oh, yeah. And there was that brick, which was right clearly there. within reach. The brick is inches away. It, says, I can't reach that. Yeah. Brick. So it's just a little another little like moment where their puzzle design is not really working to their credit. Um but it's it's clear what they were trying to do was gate you so that you couldn't complete that puzzle until you got to the motor in. I would have rather they not show you the puzzle until you went to the motor in. It was yeah. uh, it was really frustrating to get eighty percent of the way through that puzzle and then not know why I couldn't proceed because I had essentially completed the puzzle. I knew exactly what I needed to do, but apparently you need to break the lock before you can reach the inches outside of the totally open you know, gate with its slats. It was just very frustrating. But we go to the motor in, and actually I thought that as far as just puzzle solving and action. I actually had a moment uh-huh. there that I thought was hilarious because I was kind of in the exact same situation as you uh, where I thought I was, you know, trying to complete this puzzle when really I needed to go off to the motor in. Um, and so I had collected all of the objects, you know, and I had all this stuff. Uh, and so I... I was trying everything on that lock because I figured, okay, well, I've got to get through this lock. Uh, and one of the things you could do is you try uh, pointing the um, pointing the remote control at the lock and trying to unlock it. <laughs> and Doug, uh, he um, he's like, oh, well, you know, that's not that kind of universal remote. And, and Lee's like, oh, I know that, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> St- stellar dialogue all Everyone's around again throughout this Doug. whole thing is like constantly exasperated with Doug. Top-notch dialogue. Most of the That's dialogue That's good writing right there. Top-notch. <laughs> but every time that Doug talks or excuse me, every time that Doug Doug's dialogue himself is fine, but when Doug converses with Lee, it always kind of derails a little bit. It's it's notable that we're we're calling out exceptions to the good dialogue as opposed to just talking about a game with shitty dialogue. Like, you know, the the number of examples we brought up were like, that's garbage dialogue. It's been three very specific instances all about one character. <laughs> True. Uh, so far, or, you know, or just about one character. So it is, you know, and, and the fact that the the high the quality is so high across the board makes the low watermarks stand out more, I yeah, guess. Yeah, dialogue across the board, generally A+. Plus. I, I think that the characters are, uh, of this game might be better than the characters in the show and the comics in a lot of ways. Like, there's some really good characters and characterization i i definitely think that the acting in the show in the game is better than the acting in the show the voice acting is phenomenal yeah i'm of the mind the show is pretty bad yeah um, no i agree with you yeah. i think the show has 
some really bad elements to it, but I had a lot of affection that carried over from the comics. The show is pretty much universally reviled at this point, is the sense that I'm getting. I loathe it. I think it's terrible. From what I understand, this new season, this fourth season, is a bit of a return to form, and it's good again. I have some friends that are huge fans of the show. You know what? I don't it, care. You know, my, my take on TV shows <laughs> is that if they can't hold my attention through middle seasons, then they no longer deserve my attention if they return to form, you know? Like, like, like I'm going to go sit through a, a, an entire season of a television show that's probably, you know, what would it be? Like 12 to 15 hours worth of content? Yeah, it's a huge commitment. Whenever anyone, it, that happens too when someone says, no, no, you just have to get through the first season. It gets good. It's like, well, that's 12 hours. Like, that's a really big thing to ask of me. Yeah, there's a lot Um, of really good content out there. I don't need to waste my time. mm -hmm. And, you know, you can read the comics. They have relatively close to the same plot, and they're really good. The comics are great. Uh, One of my favorite comedians, James Adomian, has a bit about, you know, the have you seen phenomenon. And he, he likens saying, have you seen a TV show to asking if you've read, like, Time magazine. They're like, oh, do you mean, am I familiar with it? Have I read one? Nope. Have you just read Time Magazine, like, you know, 1902 to to present? Because it's such a big time commitment that people ask so lightly. It is. Next time on The Short Game. So we've reached the motor end. And uh, by the way, I just wanted to derail for just a second and ask you guys about the phrase motor in. Sister Christian? <laughs> like, is a, you guys want to talk about Sister Christian for a little bit? Motor in. Like getting a remote control to work and finding batteries, like those, you know, those could be in dumb other adventure games, but this directly ties into the, the central thrust and the conflict. Uh, did you notice uh, the sound when he died? That was the uh, classic Wilhelm scream. <laughs> Coming next week on The Short Game.